All right, fellas, say you find yourself out in the woods and you get cursed by a tiny woodland creature. Now, what would be the best woodland creature to be cursed by? And when I mean cursed, I don't mean like you're walking in your red hood and you come across a wolf and it says, hey, fuck you, fatso. Like, not that kind of curse. I'm talking like physical, defamating curse. Is that your kind of curse, Mark? You've never been to New York. <laughs> <laughs> not in my red hood, I haven't, no. You know... Maybe I'll say squirrel. You get a lot of energy, a big bushy tail. Uh, squirrels can make some astonishing acrobatic feats. So if I get that kind of power, uh, it's really all upside. I mean, I guess the downside is I'm going to want to collect and hide nuts constantly. Are you finding yourself in situations where you need to do great acrobatic feats? Well, no, because I can't. But if I could, I would put myself in said situations. Just like jumping up on the roof to take off the uh, Christmas lights in a very showy fashion or something like that? Yeah, or I'd be like the first... Hardcore parkour. Exactly. (laughs) Or I'd be like the first 36-year-old gold medalist gymnast who's, you know, that that could be me. That could be you, although you'd probably be disqualified for hiding nuts or something. Yeah, that, that would be the probably the, the biggest downside, of course. Cashews are performance-enhancing drugs. <laughs> yeah, mid-routine, I'd see someone eating, like, peanuts, and I would just get off the bars and start shoving them in my cheeks. The honorable judge panel, are we going to let this squirrel <laughs> in? If the squirrel comes in to compete, are we going to have to let the hippos in? I mean, it's just a long road that we're going to have to go down the here. The hippos? The hi- you said woodland creatures, you fuck. What is your deal? You guys are all over the place today. Also, I would say having a tail would be a huge pain in the ass. But thankfully, due to the hard work of the furry community, I think there's adjustments made for everybody out there now to wear tails. So, you know, there's a community I'd be right at home in already. So what I'm saying is squirrels hit me up. Paving the way for Mr. Half Man, Half Squirrel John over here. Thanks, furries. Exactly. <laughs> Also, uh, John, I hate to break it to you, but in 2020, there was um, a 57-year-old Olympic swimmer, so you would not be the oldest. Holy shit. All right. Good for that, dude. And 44. Someone was 44 as a uh, runner. Wow. All right. And we're sure they weren't enhanced. They weren't like part dolphin or something, were they? <laughs> cursed by the oceanic tribe? Well, no, because we're only going to let in woodland critter cursed people, remember? Oh, okay. It, we're not advanced enough as a society to let everybody in just yet, but uh, we'll get there. Yeah. Y'all don't know about the forest dolphins? I mean, those are <laughs> <laughs> real dicks. There are freshwater dolphins, and those rivers probably go through a forest somewhere. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Garrett, what do you got? Definitely not dolphins or hippos. You guys made it pretty easy. You said woodland animals, so... I'm going with a porcupine because no one wants to fuck with a porcupine. That's weird. I was going to say the porcupine. Too late. I beat you to it. <laughs> Do you get all the the spikes, you know, like a Hellraiser style or? Oh, yeah, yeah. You're getting you're getting the quills, bro. Okay. You mess with the porcupine, you get the quills. <laughs> okay, but how are you you are, are on record on this podcast as being someone who loves to take bath time. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a really hard time with all them quills, my friend. Nope. You're going to puncture your, your tub. You're going to have leaks everywhere. Man, you're, you're asking for it. Puncture your tub? I'm not taking baths in a fucking kiddie pool, all right? It's a ceramic giant, like, ceramic tub. And you know what? The quills actually push down flat. You know, it's just when you like tighten up and bristle them straight up, you can actually get stuck with them. But they actually eject. And that's how they get you. It's when they shoot out. That's when they mostly like stick in you. Okay. You don't know much about porcupines, do you? Or quills. I was told not to touch them or eat them just like a cactus. Stay away. (laughs) The porcupine, the cactus of the animal kingdom. 
I would probably, now that I can't use porcupine, um, I'm going to go with badger. That sounds like a little nasty, little, little, little scruffy fucking fighter type, you know, then I could go street brawling. That could be cool. <laughs> street brawling as a badger. Just the tenacity and anger. Oh, you know, I'll have like that badger stripe down my back. That might be kind of cool looking. Okay. I, I, I can take care of that with some spray paint right now. <laughs> like you asked me, Mark, do you find yourself in a position where you are street brawling very often? You're like, fuck, I, w- I wish I were a badger right now. Well, no, look, I'm going to go join the MMA. You know, I'm going to start fighting <laughs> for money. You know, I'm going to really put it to good use. Kind of like you went and joined the Olympics in your scenario. That's true. That is true. Uh, I am just one squirrel curse away from an Olympic gold medalist. I've got Conor McGregor with one swing against Mark as a badger. <laughs> I think I could take two hits. Come on, give me a little more. More credit than that no it would probably be one in fact i'd probably run away as fast as i could those guys are tough <laughs> well let's say that you had to have antlers right that's the name of the movie we're doing today antlers mm-hmm. is there a particular pair of antlers you'd prefer to have or what the hell would you do in your normal day-to-day if you just happen to find yourself with some new head decor I don't know enough about antlers to have a specific opinion. I guess reindeer, they probably have some pretty impressive antlers. Um, So I'm going to say reindeer antlers or moose. No, moose antlers. I know what those look like. I want some moose antlers. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. Well, here, let me give you a little uh, information here, John, in my uh, deep dive into antlers this week. I can tell you what the difference between horns and antlers are now, and I couldn't last week. Oh, Really? You didn't know the difference? Nice. I don't. Antlers apparently uh, shed off the animal and are regrown every year, where horns are permanent. The antler is used in uh, luring in a mate, right? That's one of the things. So, you know, think of all those guys going to the clubs Mm -hmm. with them, you know, racks on their heads, man. (laughs) Then they're just going to be button heads in the bar when that one girl looks at them wrong. Hey, that's my girlfriend, you son of a bitch. And then, like, these guys are just going to, like, gouge each other's eyes out with their antlers. So that's the other thing they're used for. Uh, And the other one, you know, is for scratching and uh, uh, getting to things. This has been Mark's Antler Minute. Did you say a bunch of guys going to the club with racks on their heads? Yeah. I did. You like that? <laughs> is that is that a reference to the YC hip hop song Racks? Oh no, you know, ladies have their racks down below. These guys have their racks up on their head. That was the, the racks joke. down below? <laughs> what are you <laughs> The chest level right. the chest level rack. My main concern with this story is I didn't know everyone else was gonna have antlers. Uh, I am wildly uncoordinated. Now my biggest fear is that my antlers are gonna get stuck on other people's antlers constantly. And things, of course, doorways. But I would just live with that. But uh, imagine getting your antlers like intertwined. Uh, it'd be a mess. But you could just cut them off. They'll grow back. That's kind of like now I wouldn't be so <laughs> mad about it, you know. Be like shaving your eyebrows off. It'd be uh, embarrassing for a little bit. Yeah. Until they came back. Uh, imagine that like as part of your new morning routine, right? You know, you brush your teeth, you shave, you file down your antlers. What a fucking nightmare. <laughs> You'd probably be spray painting them, you know, like how humans have to get piercings and, and tattoos and everything. I'm curious what that <gasps> modification scene would look like for the antler community. Oh, yeah. You guys remember when we watched that movie Antlers and we were going to talk about it? Yeah, it was a documentary about antlers, right? That's what I watched. So I'm prepared. <laughs>
Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark. Again, joined with Garrett and John. Fellas, 2022 has arrived. I missed the last episode. I was down. So thanks for holding down the fort while I was uh, still in recuperation mode. How are we doing on this new year of our Lord? Of our Lord. Oh my God. It's going to be a long podcast today. (laughs) I'm doing okay. Lordless. Uh, Yeah, doing fine. Well, that's good. Well, what have you been up to since the last time? I did want to say I did finally get through Motel Hell um, when I heard you guys were going to do it in a pinch. Movie's all right. It's ridiculous. And uh, I found a free copy on Roku app, but I had to watch it with uh, commercials. And that really sucked any enjoyment I had out of it, having to watch these garbage commercials every 10 minutes. But um, yeah, not a bad film. All right. Uh, And to think that's how we used to just watch movies with commercials. I don't know how we did it, man. I, I like lost interest so quick. I was like, I'm going to go do something else and be like, oh yeah, it's back on. Hold on. Let me come back. Sit down. I think we did it unhappily. Uh, let's see. I watched a couple of movies since our last recording. Uh, a few that I want to call out. I watched one called See For Me. I think that was from 2020 or 2021. Uh, that was pretty clever. It's like a don't breathe type situation where it's this blind woman who's in a home invasion type uh, story. And there's this new app called See For Me where you can effectively FaceTime a sighted person who will help them see. And they use that to good effect. That was a pretty fun movie. I was I was a fan of that one. Uh, I don't want to like spoil it. And you know, I'm very bad about that. So I'm trying to keep it vague. But how they have to navigate uh, not dying when this home that they're watching gets invaded by uh thieves wait 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 home that they're watching are you talking about the person they called or the person that is there they are there watching they are cat sitting at a very fancy house and this house has i guess a lot of money stored in it that these robbers know about the owner of the house is gone i don't know what the fuck they're doing wait 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 you hired a blind person to watch your cats yes that's the premise of this movie it's apparently something that she does very regularly um, Look, I don't want to sound ableist here because you know what? Maybe you can do it. But when you hire someone to watch something, I do feel like eyes and sight might be one of the prerequisites. But that's just me. Again, not trying to sound like an ass. It just I'm already seeing a plot hole here. Well, let me tell you what. That cat plays no role in this movie at all. I'm pretty sure she loses them within five minutes. <laughs> there was no cat at all. <laughs> Minor spoiler for the movie. Uh, you see this cat in the beginning and then God knows what the fuck happens to him. Uh, and then I watched the Slumber Party Massacre. I think that sci-fi, Sifi whatever uh made yes the 2021 one yeah it was actually really really good i had a lot of fun with that one too i watched that one i enjoyed that so two recommendations uh for that one then uh so and that's pretty much it i somehow missed that they remade that movie interesting i think it's more of a sequel than a remake but it's uh it's horror comedy for sure it does not take itself very serious but it is actually pretty funny i liked it garrett you got anything I found out there's 33 movies in the Amityville franchise, which is fucking mind boggling. And last year there was four. The year before that, there was four. The year before that, there was three. So I don't know what most of them direct video. But yes, evidently Amityville is a uh, public domain property um, based off what we're seeing. (laughs) So if you want to just Amityville anything in your life, go for it. There's no repercussions legally or, you know, even socially. Uh, There is a movie called Amityville Vibrator. I'm sure that's a porno. I didn't do much research beyond just seeing there was 33 and going, holy fuck. 
But uh, I've been struggling with that knowledge. So other than that, I haven't really done a whole lot else other than watch antlers. What's amazing about that is COVID didn't slow them down at all. For a year, every year, uh, they're just putting them out. Once every uh, every quarter, you're getting an Amityville movie. You think uh, the Amityville Baron, Gerard Amityville the Third, is just soaking up some sort of like royalty check? Or is this just like public domain bullshit le- uh, level stuff? It keeps getting passed around to different companies. So as far as the rights holders, so I have no idea what's going on there. I, I started to deep dive it and I found myself going, we're going to die soon. Do I really want to waste any more time on this? And I decided, no, no, I don't. <laughs> so maybe eventually I will just out of sheer curiosity, um, look into this. But as it is right now, saw 33, saw some of the titles. And this all started because uh, two weeks ago, they released Amityville Uprising, a movie about acid rain that turns people into zombies. That's where we're at now. But yes, that's, that's what I did with my life. Mark, take it away. You know, growing up in the 80s, I was convinced that any moment I was going to be scorched by acid rain. Uh, but now I think it's just as plausible as zombies. I don't know which one's going to happen first. <laughs> yeah, they really did make acid rain a big problem. And I don't think I've ever seen it once. But, you know, I guess it's maybe we solved it. Maybe it's like a good story we don't know about. Oh, we need to promote those good stories. There's so much downers in the news. Um, as for me, what have I done? Well, I watched a Guillermo del Toro movie because what we're doing today was produced by Guillermo. And uh, there was a couple in his filmography that I had kind of been missing. And I went and watched his first movie from 1992 slash three called Kronos. You guys ever seen this one? Nope. Yep. Uh, Pretty good movie. It's about a like an antiques dealer in Mexico who comes across an archangel statue that has a hidden uh, compartment in it that has a trinket device that allows the wearer to prolong their life. Uh, It was created by an alchemist in the 1500s where he died in the 1930s, but he was pale white, not like honky cracker white, but like color white, like paint. Um, And the device got sold off in an auction hidden in one of his, uh, in a statue. So Ron Perlman is out there trying to find this device for his dying uncle. And this elderly antique store owner unwittingly starts the process of elongating his life, and he gets kind of entangled with this group that's trying to locate the device. Uh, it was actually really good. I liked it a lot. I highly recommend it. If you have HBO Max, it's available right now. So highly recommended. Check it out. Today we're talking about, like we said, Antlers from 2021. This one was directed by Scott Cooper. Uh, checking out Scott's IMDb list of things. You may recognize his name if you ever saw that Jeff Bridges movie, Crazy Heart from 2009. Black Mass, I think that was that Johnny Depp movie, right? Some sort of crime syndicate thing. Yeah, about the um, the killer in uh, Boston. Yeah, that's right. The hitman, the hitman in Boston. So other than those two, that's about all I've seen from him. So I don't know if he's really done much in the way of horror. So Antlers is based on a short story by Nick Acosta called A Quiet Boy. Um, You can read that for free right now if you want. Just go online and you can check it out. Nick also is a television writer. He's done things like, I want to say it's called Channel Zero. Are you guys familiar with Channel Zero? Yeah, it's on Shudder, right? I believe so. I haven't checked it out yet because I don't watch a lot of horror TV. Um, I just find that so many episodes of something either loses its like suspense for me when I got to wait over periods of time or, you know, dragging out a story, but it takes a rarity for me to get a horror TV viewing uh, underway. 
I think it's anthology. So like each episode is its own thing, if that helps. Yeah, I'd be interested in something like that or like a creep show. Every story is different. That's I'm totally okay with that. But when it's like 37 episodes across four seasons, I'm just like, I don't know if I have the time to commit to something like that. I agree. But have either of you guys familiar with the short story at all? Yes. Uh, I've read it a couple of times. It is so good, y'all. If you haven't read it, it uh, like Mark said, it's free. Uh, it is really, really, really good. Though, I will say, bears only like the slightest passing resemblance to the plot of this movie. It is very, very different. Uh, a teacher in a town who comes across a kid who involves uh, a creature is basically what they have in common. Everything else is different. No kidding. That's pretty loose. And and I think um, Nick also did the screenwriting for the movie. So he must've been okay with all the changes to his story. When you do like a, when you do a short story, usually you'll get screenwriting credit um, because you either will be involved in the process of uh, adapting it to a screenplay or um, you'll get screenwriting credit for the original story. Um, if they use enough of your original story, like your short story and stuff like that. So it could be he was involved or it could just be that, you know, um, they, they, they these people seem cool enough to involve these kind of people in their short stories. But it could be one of those situations. Gotcha. OK. They change like little things like the story takes place in West Virginia. Here it's in Oregon. And then they change like whole bit like the sheriff character doesn't exist at all in the short story. So uh, I would highly recommend folks read it, though. Uh, spoiler for this podcast, I found the short story to be like a million times better than this movie. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Well, according to Rotten Tomatoes with the critics, Antlers is sitting at a 60% out of 171 reviews and a 68% out of 500 plus audience score reviews. So pretty close. So again, as mentioned, directed by Scott Cooper, this one stars Carrie Russell as Julia Meadows, Jesse Plemons as Paul Meadows, Jeremy Thomas as Lucas Weaver, Graham Greene as Warren Stokes, Scott Hayes as Frank Weaver, Roy Cochran as Daniel LaCroix, Amy Madigan as Principal Ellen Booth, and Sawyer Jones as Aiden Weaver. And here's what the back of the Blu-ray has to say about Antlers. The Wendigo. Wow. They're just going to get right out there. And like you do. <laughs> okay. No, no mystique at all. The Wendigo, a cannibalistic demonic monster that can drive the unsuspecting to do the unspeakable. Produced by Guillermo del Toro and directed by Scott Cooper, brings this terrifying myth to shocking life in this richly complex, chilling horror film. When a small town Oregon teacher and her brother, the local sheriff, seek to help a troubled young boy who harbors a strange secret, the consequences are more dreadful than any could have imagined. A tale of reckoning, Antlers ties a horrifying ancient terror to the modern plagues of poverty, addiction, and environmental devastation brought on by insatiable human greed. Man, that leaves nothing to the imagination or for anything for the viewer to do themselves. It did everything for you. (laughs) Well, that wraps up our (laughs) podcast then. Uh... Yeah, well... Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you next week. (laughs) What do you guys think of Antlers? I thought it was fucking rad. I really, really dug this movie. I think 60% as it was given on Rotten Tomatoes is way too low. I don't think this is like an A plus movie. I don't think it's in the 90s, but this is a a easy 85%, you know, four out of five stars for me. This, yes, there were parts of it that were kind of like paint by numbers, 
but this had it all. Everything I wanted. I recommend it. I'm out of here. Bye. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I thought it was okay. I thought it was like horror light. There was the parts that were horror were awesome. Uh, and you know, where you got to see the Windango, uh, that was cool. Um, the gore effects are great, but did you call it the Windago? Yeah, I did. Uh, I don't. Whatever. Steven, Steven, it's me, Grim Windango. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of it is, I mean, like the black, uh, the back of the box said is like about grief and loss and very drama heavy and uh, sometimes very meandering. I think that's a problem when you try to expand a short story though to fill a full length movie. Maybe there just wasn't enough there, and so they had to sort of fill in the blanks. And I don't, I don't know. I thought it was all right. Will I watch it again? Probably not. Really? Yeah. Okay. I like that. I watched it once, and it was fine. Uh, it's just, you know, I think this is like a good introduction horror film. This movie will definitely hit my rotation more than I, I, I want to say probably at least once, maybe twice a year. I think I'm going to be a little more forgiving than John and a little less uh, glowing review than Garrett. I'm somewhere in between. I think where John feels a sense of meandering, I get a sense of bleakness and a total erosion of community and any hope of any kind. That's one of the biggest takeaways I had from this film is like everybody in this film is down and depressed. And this is one of those like little towns that when their industry stops thriving, everything just starts to fall apart. You know, this is set in a mining community where the mining industry is entirely shut down during this whole movie. We've got a sheriff who's out of his depth. He doesn't even really want the job, but there was no one else to do it. So he's reluctantly doing it. And then you've got a couple of families here, one dealing with meth drug addiction that's destroying their lives, while another family played by, uh, you know, Carrie Russell's Julia, she's dealing with the aftermath of abuse. So there's nothing hopeful in this entire movie. So from minute one to end, it's just like a downward spiral of, um, you know, people's sadness. And it ends that way, too. Spoilers. It's not going to have a happy ending. But that's the reality of those some of those areas, though. I mean, like that's it's a it's a pretty dead on picture of what can happen to these places when you lose any kind of, you know, viable form of uh, income or, you know, social structure. Sure, absolutely. I thought the bleakness of the the town was very interesting. And especially with um, Jesse Plemons' character, what's what's his character's name? So we can just go ahead and start calling him. Is it Frank? Uh, uh, Paul. Paul, um, you know, Bobo Matt Damon. He always looks like, like a younger Matt Damon to me. Um, <laughs> but he always does a great job. So kudos to... Jesse Plemons. Um, Paul was kind of, you know, he he lives within this this mundane bleakness, but he has this sense of kind of like this is what it is, like you know, like a peacefulness, to, not a peacefulness, but a a kind of like um, acceptance, a a positive acceptance of just just how it is. Um, and you contrast that against things like you know what Lucas and his family are going through. And I thought the Julia backstory, while definitely helped the story, felt completely kind of pointless at the end of end of everything. I mean, other than the fact that it was there to kind of connect her to Lucas, I don't know. I, I kind of liked that dark utopia, no, dystopia, not utopia, that, you know, this town kind of took place. Also, it bugged me the whole movie because I was like, this place looks so familiar. It's the same town from Rambo First Blood. <laughs> Okay. That's why it felt like I was coming home. I was all like, I didn't start this war. <laughs> so here's what I'll say. I agree with all of that. I think, and this might be like the big change to me that made me 
not enjoy it as much. But in the short story, the character of Julia is young and she's like comes in for Teach for America. So she's like optimistic and like brought into it and kind of stands in contrast to the town. So I think the short story did it better because there was like an audience surrogate. Right. And I think it helped add like a layer of contrast to this young person who's coming in with a sort of optimism. And it also sort of explained why she cared so much about this one particular person. And uh, it just added more depth, I think, to the whole story than Mm -hmm. what they did Mm -hmm. here, where they added this whole trauma sub uh, subtext. Well, not even subtext because it's very obvious. Subplot. Subplot. Yeah. This, uh, which then they also don't really commit to because it kind of pays off, but not really. It's strictly a vehicle just to make her have a reason to want to immediately connect with Lucas. Right. I wish I had been more familiar with the short story because I kind of was hoping that she would be more of a fish out of water. Kind of like I came back to this place that I kind of dread leave it at that. She comes back, but she really is an outsider and doesn't understand how, I mean, there's that scene where she talks to the principal and, um, you know, Paul about how things really are around this place. And she's not quite cool with it, but then she just accepts it as if like, okay, you know, like, cause she's familiar with that. I, I do think John, to your point that if we had more of a fish out of water type situation, it would lead more towards the audience having someone to connect with better. Yeah, and I think this movie wants to be a couple of different types of movies. And so if to me, it feels like it doesn't, except near the end where it fully commits to being a horror movie or a monster movie, it doesn't really commit to any one thing, which to me made me feel like a lot of the subplots were just sort of, like I said, meandering. Like... It, one, it took me a real, maybe this is just because I'm unobservant. It took me a really long time to figure out that those two people, uh, uh, Julia and Paul, were brother and sister. At first, I was like, how are these people related? Uh, what is happening? Why is she in this house? Why would he resent her? Like, You know what, John? It, it took me the, uh, uh, the second viewing, I found out they were brother and sister. The first time I watched it, I thought they were husband and wife, and like she left and came back. Yes. And I was like, what is happening? They don't say anything about the relationship other than they're just kind of distant, but cordial. That's what I thought, too. And I'm like, okay, well, what is going on here? And then, you know, they slowly roll out that story of abuse. But then there was a line where Jesse Plemons is like, well, you don't know what happened to me in this house. And I was like, okay, hold on. That that throws a wrench in my my husband and wife plot, you know. And I went and looked it up and looked at the back of the Blu-ray and it says it right there, you know, brother and sister. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't have a problem putting together brother and sister on that. What I had a problem with initially is I thought Lucas was her kid. And when Lucas came home to see the door with the locks on it and then went and hid in the corner and then she was at home doing her like teacher thing at the table, I was like, there's no way a mother would let a child lock something in a room and not be aware what the fuck's going on in his house. <laughs> so that was the part that I didn't quite catch right away. But um, that's interesting because I, I got the brother sister thing right away. Yeah, didn't get it. And I think that is like another what I would call a criticism of this movie is if you're going to do this bleak dystopia, everybody's struggling, like you need to create some characters that you want to root for. And I was rooting for Julia. I thought she was great. But all the supporting cast, I think they were acted fine. But I just you just didn't get to know them well enough, I thought, for me to really give a shit about what was happening in this town. 
Yeah, it was hard to root for her. Like, and I'm, I'm just going to jump to the end thing. When she goes, I'm going to the mine to get Lucas after seeing the Wendigo. I was like, I'm done. I can't back a damn thing that you will ever do again. Like, I could care less about you if you're stupid enough to go into a mine with a monster. Well, it's her whole subplot, right? She's trying to reach out to Lucas and keep him safe where she didn't have that as a child. That's the driving force for her to go to there. Uh, but I think I agree with John on this is that I think her plot is the weakest of the film. And I would have liked to seen that cleaned up a little bit or had more payoff. I think ultimately I'd give this movie like three and a half stars out of five, which is still a positive score. Uh, you know, I, I think everybody should check this out if they're into this kind of folklore style um storytelling or cryptids or, or any of that kind of stuff you should definitely check it out yeah uh but i think it could have been a little bit better three and a half out of five is what i would rate it to uh so we are aligned there did you guys mention that graham green is in this uh yes he's the native american uh, ex-sheriff i love that dude so much he's an amazing character actor he's actually my favorite character from die hard with a vengeance um the cop that he plays in that one i just love his character from start to finish I am 99.995% sure we saw him on a plane when we were flew through LA a couple months ago. Man, <laughs> that dude is so rad. I was just really excited to see him still getting like work and stuff. I was like, that guy needs to be in everything. I don't, I don't know. I always love character actors. I think I've mentioned that before in the podcast, but I'm a fan. It's cool to still see him pop up from time to time. Yeah. I wonder if that's the preferred, like, do you think actors would prefer to go in and do like five, 10 minutes on a million different credits or be like in probably, I mean, he's probably making a ton of money just for the sheer amount of work that he gets or be like a major character, like, uh, you know, Captain America, or whatever, uh, and be stuck doing that role for, you know, 20 movies. I don't know. I think it depends. I mean, I don't, I know like a lot of actors, I know like Christian Bale was really annoyed with having to play Batman over and over again. Uh, you know, it just depends. You've also got some people that love playing characters and I think it just depends on the person. I'm sure when those Batman checks cleared, he had a lot less to complain about. <laughs> Probably true. <laughs> All right. Well, this one uh, kicks off with some text on a screen that reads, Mother Earth has been pillaged, stripped of her life's blood, a violation that has awakened the malevolent spirit, seeking the lost, the frail, and the depraved. Pray it does not you. And this is all spoken in an Algonquin language. The Wendigo is actually Algonquin. Uh, Wendigo means greed. Excessiveness of greed is one of the most heinous things in the culture can cause the Wendigo to arrive. You know, we see that throughout the film. The plundering of the environment is another allegory of this film, along with drugs plundering the family dynamic and abuse also plundering the family dynamic as well and just how those things can be so destructive. Yeah, I'll say the environmental bit, like you hear it in the background, but it it's sort of tempered by the fact that this movie is so gorgeous and it takes place in these lush, just beautiful mountains and forests. And then, but in the background, they're like, oh yeah, they're going to open up mines and they're going to strip top mining. But there was quite the juxtaposition there. We're supposed to believe that this creature came up because the environment's getting ruined, but the environment looked immaculate in this film. I think they're referring to the mine and them mining, you know, like the dwarves delve too deep. They're greed, you know, they, you know, like whatever that line from Lord of the Rings is. Sure. I think that's what they're trying to go with is the, uh, you know, the mine was the environmental part of it. But yeah, John, 
these opening like helicopter shots are fucking breathtaking. Yeah, tremendously uh, well shot. But couldn't they find some stock footage of, you know, like actually strip mine locations to have put in there or taken some, you know, like I'm sure there's shit. In fact, I know that there are shitty environments all across America they could have filmed and been like, oh, yeah, this does suck. Right. They should have shown more and said less. The only like real hard concrete evidence we get of this is whenever the former sheriff uh, Stokes is like, yeah, it's because of what we're doing in the environment, man. It's like, okay, you could, you, you should, I, he's not a hippie. I didn't mean it. <laughs> For being such a heavy-handed point of this plot, they needed to show more of its impact to the surrounding environment. Yeah, or at least not show the opposite of what they're telling us. That's, I think, where it bothered me. Like, if they just show nothing, I could have, my mind could have filled it in. But when they're showing one thing and saying another, I was like, this is challenging. Yeah, they just shown the uh, the the economic and the uh, the drug, you know, problem stuff. You know, that would have been enough to kind of like give the same exact feel. I think the reason they threw the uh, environmental stuff is in is due to very much this is how the Wendigo reawoken, you know, like otherwise, why the fuck would it just randomly pop up now after so long? So, um, yeah, you're right. It kind of felt like just kind of tacked on there, but a lot, there's a lot of parts of this movie that kind of felt they kind of rushed through just to kind of be like, ah, ah, see, we addressed that. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we gotcha. Yeah. After we get the on-screen text, the movie cuts over to the entrance of a mine. There's a truck, uh, and a little kid is outside banging a, a pipe on some steel beams. Um, he runs back to his truck and Frank Weaver comes out and says, Hey, dude, hang out here for a little bit longer. We're almost done inside. It took me a while to figure out what Frank was doing in this mine, but then you see there's no one else around. There's no people. It's literally a ghost town. And he goes back down into the mine and you realize that he's making meth down in this temporarily abandoned mine. Well, he brings out a milk carton full of stuff. So I thought they were like looting the old facility, like picking up, you know, tools or things that they could like sell and stuff like that. I thought he was a junk guy. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, they totally go back underground into a cave where they have a meth lab. Now, I don't know much about making meth other than what I've seen in like Vice and PBS documentaries, <laughs> but it seems like that is the worst place to fucking have a meth lab because the chemicals, the... Um, Could have methane gas down there, maybe. Yeah, fumes, gases. And he's walking in with a fucking um, flare. There we go. Up to this place. And I'm like, this is a bad idea, dude. Yeah, it is tough to believe that drug addicts would make poor decisions. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so you do have a plan. Yeah, Mr. White. Yes, science. The only thing I know about meth is what I learned from Breaking Bad. So I mean, I know even less than Garrett. So yeah, I, I'm going to say that this was not a good location. Sure, there, surely there's a shack in these woods these lush green woods that they show us that would be a better place for your meth lab base. But who am I to say? I mean, it is pretty secluded in that mine, but it just, from a from a safety standpoint, from an OSHA standpoint, <laughs> it's probably not the best place to set up your drug lab. Yeah. Because I didn't understand why Lucas looked like so malnourished at first. When we first saw him banging on the pipes, I was like, oh, this kid does not look well. I thought he was one of those kids from the pumpkin head, you know, the ones that were circling <laughs> the other kids and taunting. He, he belonged in that town. I, he would have fit right in. Y'all keep calling him Lucas. That Lucas is not there yet. That is Aiden. Yeah, you're right. Aiden is the one that's is banging around outside while Frank is 
finishing his meth lab. Wait, that's Aiden? These look, these little blonde white kids all look the same to me, John. <laughs> really? If it was Lucas, then Lucas would have become infected, but that's where Aiden gets infected. Or is infected the right word? Possessed? I don't know. But it's where he encounters uh, with Frank. So and Lucas, I guess, is at school. I don't know where Lucas is. Yeah. yeah well, regardless, I thought that was Lucas. So now knowing that it's Aiden, that does make a lot more sense. But uh, they hear like a howl. And in typical dumbass fashion, God bless horror movies, one of the guys is like, okay, that's probably an animal. Let's get the fuck out of here. And then Frank's like, no, let's go look and see what it is. So they start walking down a, a mine shaft and they see a bunch of bags hanging from the ceiling. Like clearly not organic. You know, someone has put these things up. Now, I don't know about you guys. If you see something like this, do you continue or do you turn around? I would not have pursued an animal in a cave to begin with, so I would have hightailed it out of there immediately. Uh, important question. Am I high on meth? <laughs> that may affect my decision. Great follow-up, John. Um, we're going to go ahead and say, in your case, no. Okay, well then, yeah, I'm getting the fuck out of there. So they get attacked by a creature of some kind, and it looks to... You definitely see an antler flash in like the light of their um, flashlights and stuff in this cave, and you hear like them, one of the dudes getting ripped up, and someone's like, get out of here! And they start running out. I guess that's Frank that runs away, right? Yeah. Boom, we smash cut to a title screen that says antlers... I would have loved it. It was like Antlers, the Blitzen story, <laughs> but it was not. It was it was much darker. Well, we cut back to the uh, fourth grade classroom of Julia. Uh, it's three weeks later. She's in the bathroom having like a panic attack or something. And, uh, you know, and she centers herself and she goes into the classroom, which the only reason I bring it up is, is this like her first day? I think she's still just struggling with being back in town. So I think this is kind of a, a daily occurrence of, oh boy, I'm back in the place I don't want to be. I'm teaching this environment that I'm not super familiar with. Okay. I think this is a daily panic attack. Julia is a woman that is still very haunted by her trauma, even 20 years later or whatever it is. You know, she still seems like it's a struggle for her to get through every day because we have little scenes of her going yeah. into the grocery store and seeing the hard liquor behind the, the clerk. And she's like, you know, that just by the way she's looking at it, that she's had an, an alcohol problem in the last 20 years that she's trying to kick all kinds of things that just don't seem to work for her to get her past this point that has just derailed her life in this fashion. Okay. Well, she goes back to her classroom and explains the whole premise of this movie about <laughs> stories. And well, she asks this classroom about, can anyone come up or name one story or fairy tale or what, you know, anything at all? And only one kid raises their hand. And it's clearly that's the kid who's like always the uh, teacher's pet. Yeah, there we go. Because she's like, anybody else? Can anyone name a single fairy tale? And all the kids are just like, I don't know. I've never heard of fairy tales before. And then Garrett's in the back and raises his hand and goes, the Bible. Take that, America. <laughs> and this is kind of where we see Lucas for the first time because he's drawing. He's making like uh, drawings, vivid, very good drawings, I would say, especially for a 12 year old. This is something that drives me absolutely fucking nuts in movies is when they have a child, let's say 13 or under, kicking out fucking high level professional artwork <laughs> as like just free scratch scribble time. And I'm always like, that fucking pisses me off because I'm like, no, 
No kid is that good. And if they are that good, they're, you know, like, I don't know. It always drives me nuts when they're like, they drew this in class and it's like some professional ass looking piece. And I'm like, get fucked. <laughs> Just like uh, it's it's very clearly a professional that someone had the uh, the note of make it look like maybe a three year old did it. <laughs> Still too fucking perfect. But it looks awesome. I loved the art in this. But um, yeah, it was one of those things where it was like, uh, maybe it's a little jealousy that this 13 year old was kicking out stuff that rivals my stuff. But um, I just I did always drives me nuts when I see like really good art from little kids. I'm just like, oh, that's so annoying. He also had scenes drawn that he wasn't present for. So he's fucking really, really good. You know what I mean? Like like he 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 drew that scene of the antlers coming out of Frank's mouth. And I was like, bro, you weren't even there for that. <laughs> he, uh, he envisioned it. He's, he's imaginative. Well, wasn't he? No, he didn't. Nah, Principal Booth was there by herself. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Aiden saw that. Again, small, blonde, white kids. You know, who can tell them apart? <laughs> And so then finally she picks on the teacher's pet who's like, oh, of course, it's uh, you know, Goldilocks uh, and the three bears, uh, which I would have normally skipped, but it's relevant because that's like a running theme in this uh, in the two classroom scenes. Yeah, because she goes, that, that's a good example. The, the, the meaning is don't take what's not yours and don't go into places you're not supposed to go into. And it was like message. Yeah, <laughs> don't get caught or don't rob somebody and fall asleep in their bed. That's probably a better takeaway for Goldilocks. I feel like all are applicable here. <laughs> so in one of the more strange scenes of the movie, and this is a movie with a Wendigo in it, there is uh, Lucas's, I guess, fourth grade bully. He looks like he's been held back a year or three. <laughs> he's like two feet taller than every other child in this classroom. And he like leans over and looks at Lucas and he's like giving him eyes. And he's like, hey, psst, hey, psst, psst. And fucking Lucas reluctantly looks over and then this kid just starts dry humping a sock monkey and he's like, yeah. And you're like, what is, what does this mean? What kind of bullying is this? I don't know. Let me get sexy with a sock monkey at you. I'm like, okay, are you sexually attracted to Lucas kid or what is this supposed to prove? I think that uh, kids are so nice nowadays. They don't even know how to bully anymore. So they're like, hey, bully this other kid. And he just is like, all right, I'm going to hump your doll. I don't know. It was definitely ridiculous. Was this Lucas's sock monkey? Did, did he have owners? Ownership of this? Yes, he did. So this this didn't make sense to me until later on in the movie. But um, evidently, I have a note here that's like, why are all the backpacks outside of school against the wall? And it's got to be like a safety security thing or something like that. But evidently, that kid went into Lucas's backpack, took out the sock monkey, and then was like dry humping it. And like, look what I'm doing to your monkey, bro. So they go back outside, and then they they he gets his monkey back. I don't know what the fucking deal with, but he cuts the head off the monkey later on. He shoves shit in it. Oh, okay. That's what that was. And then he put it back in the bully's backpack. So that's made me thought that the sock monkey was the bullies. And then he's like, here, I'm shitting in the head of your sock monkey, you fuck. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> God, I'm good, huh? <laughs> like An astonishing escalation, to be honest. Lucas does not fuck around. He goes from zero to 100. Yeah. I mean, if you're putting backpacks outside against the wall for safety and security, you're not going to get to like slam a kid against the wall and try to make him eat shit without a teacher being present going like, hey, y'all should stop that maybe. I guess that's what happened though because he didn't get very far in the bully scene. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, so at this point, Lucas goes home. This is the first time we got to see Lucas in his natural environment. He walks along the, the edge of the lake and sees a skunk and then picks up a massive rock and immediately I was like, I'm about to be done with this movie. Uh, but he kills the skunk, fortunately off screen, takes it home 
um, and then feeds it to whatever is in the locked room. And when we say locked room, there are like makeshift deadbolts and like pin bolts and stuff like that all over this door to kind of make sure it's like locked and something inside of it is like thudding around and making like weird little like snarly noises. And shout out to the atmosphere and settings of the Weaver house. It is creepy. It's dingy. Uh, as people come into it, they react to the smells of the house. And I felt like I could almost smell what was going on in this place, man. Uh, so they did a fantastic job with that. Agreed. Yeah, everyone's, everyone sells these environments so wonderfully. Um, even when Lucas is just walking home, like the, just the desolation of the places he's going through is just, it comes across really well on, on screen. So then we get another back to the school scene, right? And then she's like, well, why don't you guys tell me your stories? I guess it was like a classroom assignment. They're spending six weeks on how to tell a fucking story. <laughs> these kids are learning nothing. <laughs> One of my notes is what class is she teaching? Like, okay, they're 12. So they've got to be like in sixth grade. And she's like introducing fairy tales to them. So uh, it feels like that's why I thought, oh, maybe this is her first day. I'm guessing this like, yeah, like a grammar or English class. That's the only thing that would make any sense for this. But yeah, this shit seems like it would be first grade teaching. Hey, do you guys know what a fairy tale is? Yes, my mother reads me one every night when I go to bed. Yeah. And the fact that 12 children in this classroom couldn't name one is like, <laughs> oh, are we in the held back class? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was. I don't think it was couldn't. I think it was wouldn't. There was a lot of blank stares of like, whatever. I'm not participating. It's really young to get to that point. I'd expect that more in like a junior high, high school scenario, but okay, I'll, I'll accept it. Maybe who knows, but we do actually get, before we get to this scene where she's asking about that, we actually get to see, um, Julia at home with, uh, Paul for the first time. And this is where she's in the house and she has a flashback to some kid under the grate in the basement. I did not know what the hell her flashbacks were done in such a way that I could not tell if it was like the actual story or if it was like a flashback. So I was so confused mm -hmm. until they finally explained like, this is what happened to me back in the day. And I was like, Oh, these are all flashbacks. Thank God they clarified that. Cause I was like, does she have a kid trapped under her floor? I was like, what the hell is going on here? I think this is where we first see Paul and her interact. Cause he like moves her. She moves his pills. Jesus. From one side of the kitchen to the other. And he's like, don't move my shit. And she's like, well, I understand you have a right to resent me. And apparently Garrett's like brother and sister. That's brother and sister behavior. She said like after dad died. So that's how I put it together. Like she makes a, a line when she's like, because she goes from zero to 100. It's not like he's like, please don't move my stuff. And she's like, I know you resent me. You have every right. And I was like, whoa, slow it down there. And she's like, I'll be out by the end of the week. And he's like, I didn't fucking say leave. <laughs> I said, don't move my pills. He's kind of playing it like, you know, honestly, shout out to Paul for becoming at least emotionally stable after what he went through. Because, yeah, she just straight up bolted on him. And you know what? For maybe good reason. But um, he's just like, hey, look, you know, like I didn't say anything like we just doing our thing now. Yeah. And then he gives like a real sad story of like, well, I have to go evict people again and tell them they have 15 minutes to get their shit and leave and maybe they'll have a car. They probably won't. Nobody has a car. And, and it's like, that's why I'm so stressed out. Sorry about yelling at you at the pills. I was like, all right, that does suck. That's pretty shitty. And she's like, well, no one told you to be sheriff. And he was like, well, somebody has to do it. Yeah, that was kind of fucked up of her. Like, you know, like, yo, he clearly has stepped into this role that needs to be handled because out of a sense of like obligation or even like, you know, just mature, like, hey, it has to be done. 
And she's like kind of shaming him for it. And it's like, yo, get off his back, miss. I ditched when I was 13 years old or whatever. I mean, granted, for good reason, but yes. So she's around our age, maybe a little bit older. She was probably a kid when Rambo came through and blew that fucking town up. (laughs) (laughs) She's supposed to be 40-ish in this movie. All right, so our age group. So yeah, she was around when Rambo just wrecked that town. Her brother was probably like, I knew since then I wanted to be a lawman. Yeah, you know what? First blood. What can I say? I'm calling it a shared universe. (laughs) But we also, and maybe it's now or maybe it's a little bit later, we get a a weird cut of her dad naked laying on her bed, rolling around with a fucking bear. Like scenes like that were supposed to indicate like, oh, she dealt with sexual abuse or some form of abuse. What happened here? What's going on? And we don't get any information. So it was just like, why throw that out there? Yeah, it was really strange. So it does come a little bit later in the movie, but she's playing the piano at like the middle of the night, which I wrote, that seems rude, (laughs) but she's playing the piano. And then she has like a vision. I thought it was Paul, but I guess it was their dad who kind of comes up and puts his hand down her shirt and then starts strangling her. Uh, and then, yeah, it cuts to what you saw, what you said, Garrett, about her dad in the bed. And then she like freaks out. And it turns out that her brother had walked in and was like, whoa, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I'm totally fine. But it was a really weird scene. In fact, my note says, what the hell was that? Because it seems so out of place and just didn't make sense. Well, it'd be one thing if he was like in in her room, like kind of being like, you know, creepy. But he was like breaking down and crying and he was just like you know like oh julia oh julia like yeah rocking and crying on her bed and i was like what the fuck is going on here and then we find out that he killed himself i'm just like there's so much information here to like be like well wait how does this play into x y and z that's never clarified which just honestly and and this is my weakest point of the movie it 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 creates more questions that were unnecessary because we've already got We've already got the information we need to know that she was abused. Yeah. Like, why introduce all these wild variables? Maybe what it's saying is that even though he was abusive and obviously a terrible person, he was also suffering from his own demons. And so she has seen both sides of it, right? She saw and was obviously abused and a victim of sexual assault, but then also saw her father break down and perhaps feel guilty or whatever the case may be. So I'm struggling with like his own demons, but it's obviously headcanon, right? The movie does no, no, in no way explains what the fuck's going on. The following day, we're back at school and Lucas has to present his story to the class. Lucas, this whole time in class, has done absolutely zero writing of any words. He's only been drawing these creepy pictures. So when it's time for Lucas to present his, his uh, story, he stands up and recites it, but there's nothing on the pages. It's all coming straight from his mind as he looks at these images. And it's a very dark tale. Once there were three bears that lived in a dark and wet cave up above a small town. Big bear, little bear, and baby bear. Big bear used to take care of the little bears, but big bear got sick lost his job, and his insides turned black. One day, Little Bear came home, and Big Bear and Baby Bear were different. Big Bear's sickness had gotten worse. Big Bear has become more angrier and meaner 
because they had no food, no meat. It's, it's very good, Lucas. But they had each other. And it's like obviously this parable about how everything's fucked in his house now. And that was like the first, I think, uh, inkling that Julie had that was like, oh, okay, I need to pay attention to this kid. Something terrible is going on at his home. And that is when she started. And that was like the uh, inciting event to get her to start digging into uh, Lucas's background and his family. That story was so crazy. Yeah, it's pretty much telling that whole three week omission after the, the title card. Man, yeah, the way he delivered it, fucking chilling. Julia follows Lucas home because after that story, she's on red alert, red flags everywhere. But uh, Julia takes him in, buys her ice cream, and she's trying to play the whole like psychology thing to get to know him and get him to open up. Lucas catches on pretty quick, and he's like, don't follow anymore. I'm out. I hated this whole scene. It went on for so long, and it was so dumb. Oh, what's your favorite vegetable? Mine's ice cream. What's your favorite fruit? Donuts. And Lucas is like, what the fuck are you talking about, lady? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, Lucas, you're not an idiot. This teacher is being stupid. <laughs> I like, I was just mad the whole time it was going on. I was like, this is entirely pointless. She's, try- <laughs> she's trying her best, though. No, if that's her best, then she needs to go back to school, right? She's approaching Lucas like he's seven. Like That's the kind of conversation I think you would have with a much younger child not a 12 year old like i lucas was not buying he's like thanks for the free ice cream don't follow me deuces yeah and then he goes home and the the teacher follows him home like she like ends up at lucas's house and like looks around while he's walking home um because she drives there so she gets there before him and she like hears a noise like a thudding and like kind of like a kind of thing from inside and she's like, what the fuck? And so she leaves. Well, at least she's smarter than the principal. You know, at least Julia had the smarts and wherewithal not to just enter the house, you know, with this going on. The principal has a previous relationship. And I don't mean like like romantic or anything, but like they've they've interacted with Frank before she has. So I think that she has a little bit more like confidence and like, I'll go talk to Frank because we've we've dealt with him and his his kids before. Sure. So I will get I will cut the principal a little bit of slack on that. No, (laughs) she broke and entered into that person's house just because, you know, Okay, so let's get to this scene. So Julia goes to the principal and is like, look, I'm super worried about Lucas. I can't get in touch with his family. Have you talked to Frank? And he's in the principal is like, look. Here's the thing. It's really shitty here. It's incredible that Lucas is even in school because a lot of parents pull their kids out of school to help him make meth. So we don't want to press too hard on this because Lucas, you know, the alternative is a much shittier life for Lucas. And that was the total setup for why Aiden was at the uh, meth lab and Lucas was in school. Mm hmm. Yeah. But the principal's like, look, I get you're concerned. I will check in on them in the next like moment that I have. And then I thought, I was like, oh, that principal isn't going to do shit. But it turns out she is principal above and beyond because a few scenes later, she does go to Frank's house and it's all locked up and she knocks and nobody answers the door. So then she just tries the knob and it opens and she's like, well, don't mind if I do. And she walks in, which is bad enough. But then she just starts walking all over this person's house. 
Well, she hears a noise. And then so she decides to go in and check and see what it is. Because again, she knows about Aiden, though. Sure. But she hears a noise in somebody else's house. It's probably the people who live there being like, did someone just break into my fucking house? Look, it's a super risky thing to do. And I do not recommend, especially in the fucking like upper Northwest and like, you know, mountain country, do not walk onto anyone's property or Mm -hmm. definitely don't go into someone's house. But the thing is, is I will excuse her actions because she knew about Aiden and she thought thought maybe with the noise she heard, she seemed concerned. So maybe she thought Aiden was in trouble. So yes, horror movie logic, I'll give it to her. But she's already in the house and then she takes it a step further and unbolts a door, undoes three locks and goes inside a room that smells like fucking putrid death. Mm -hmm. She doesn't get any slack from me. She's a fucking idiot and should have called the cops immediately. And she sees blood on the wall. There's blood trailing down the hallway that she's walking down and she doesn't think this is above and beyond a principal's pay grade. I'm gonna need to call in somebody with, I don't know, a gun. (laughs) She doesn't see the blood until she's inside the the locked room. But yes, the moment you open a a triple dead bolted door and then you see blood and feces smeared on the wall and handprints, guess what you do you lock that shit back up and you leave asap but yeah no at this point this was clearly like we're gonna have to allow horror movies the uh the the birth it needs to to continue this scene because at that point i was like you are the dumbest person alive (laughs) so she gets in and she discovers aiden kind of crouching over right next to the stairs and uh as she goes to console him and you know say things like probably starving little guy you haven't probably eaten forever but from behind you know, possessed, quote unquote, possessed Frank attacks her. And we start to see Frank really metamorphosize into the next level of creature that he's going to become Mm -hmm. Uh, from underneath his ribs. It's like glowing orange. And I really thought this effect was cool. Super good. Aiden and Frank both have like this black ooze coming out of their eyes. Their skin is ghostly pale and they just look like they've gone through living hell. As this transformation happens, the principal gets batted away like nothing. And then Frank jumps on her, chews off of some a couple of fingers, I think, and then goes for the jugular. And just to really put his final point in there, he like chews part of her face off. Yeah. Principal dumbass is dead. She's not getting up from this. He hunches over. He starts doing this like weird contortionist arm stuff. Bones are popping. Then he kind of stands up and howls, kind of screams upward. A bunch of antlers kind of pop out of his mouth, but not full antlers, kind of like the tips, kind of like a a small bush of antlers kind of shoots out of his mouth and then it cuts away. Uh, We get a, a scene. There's a hunter over there looking at what looks like a corpse. And it's hard to kind of see what's going on with it other than it looks like a man that's kind of been torn apart, but it's it's not super clear. We cut back into town where Graham Greene reports this to the sheriff. And they go to the coroner's office and he's like, okay, look, I don't know what's going on here, but there are human bite marks on these bones. And at this point, Paul's like, ah, fuck. And his partner, who's played by, I don't know his name, but is the guy from CSI that looks like Richard Nixon. His name is Dan in the movie. Deputy Dan. Yeah. And um, they're both just kind of like, okay, this is officially a problem because you can tell they deal with bullshit, but they haven't dealt with mutilated like human torsos. So this is all kind of new for them. You know what I compare this uh, police outfit to? Tommy Lee Jones' character from Old Country for No Men. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Police force completely out of their depth and unable to deal with the monstrousness that has inhabited their town. Yep. And it's about to get worse uh, because we then go to a scene 
and to be honest, listeners actually think our telling of these scenes are very out of order. So like we always say, watch the movie. Lucas is walking home and his bully is waiting for him. And he's like, there's no teachers now to save you. I'm going to kick your ass. Except my, my poor dude is like in the peak voice changing age. So it's very hard to take anything he was saying seriously. <laughs> uh, but he was talking all this shit. Well, my favorite line is, I don't take apologies from pussies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What does that even mean? Well, John, let's break it down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, here's my question. Are there two creatures? No, just one right now. What happened to the one in the mine? I, I think it transfers, dude. I think it transfers. Okay. So then Frank kills this kid. Yes. Frank is the one that well, this is, yeah, Frank's the one that kills his kid because the the previous scene is where the principal gets eaten and the, the antlers pop out of Frank's mouth mm-hmm. because at this point, um, they're in the woods and they get have this confrontation. The creature jumps out of the trees on top of the bully, starts ripping that kid to shreds. This movie is not shy about killing kids on screen. No, it'll fuck a kid up, no problem. Balls to the wall on that. Um, and then at this point, um, Lucas is like, oh shit, and runs home. And that's when he sees like the windows open, there's blood blood everywhere. He, he finds out that the window goes loose. So, um, yeah, that was the, that was Frank. So, you know what? That's a good point though. Like, again, I always assume there was one, but we don't really know what happens to the first one in the mines. Maybe, maybe that dude kills him. Maybe the other guy who got fucked up kills him in the process or causes no, because you have to cut the fucking heart out. This is all bananas now. Okay. Just to put a, a, a pin in the uh, body found that they talk about in the morgue, I assume that that was Frank's partner from the meth lab. Is that correct? It was. So he didn't survive. If he was in the mine and they found his body in the woods, then there is a second wind to go on the loose somewhere. Oh, that's antlers too. Yeah, okay, maybe. Maybe there is. But the thing is, they made it sound like when you killed it, it searched for a new host. And it didn't seem like it went to a new host until it had, you know... Well the spirit of the one you killed it doesn't say that the like maybe it's like a vampire situation right so frank is like the offspring of that first one oh so that first one's still out there doing its own shit but you can't kill it so you're saying aiden could have become a wendigo even if frank was already a wendigo yeah he was well on his way because in an uh, early scene that we didn't really touch on because it's not important uh lucas tried to give him some regular food and he ends up vomiting out like black goo and it comes out of his eyes. And so he's like already on his way to transforming. Okay. All right, then. Yeah, Mark, you know what? There are multiple Wendigos at this point. And they all answer to the ancient Papa Wendy who's hanging out in the caves. <laughs> but yeah, that that bully gets torn to pieces, man. And he's just screaming and Lucas hightails it out of there. Yep. And we find out that now Frank and Aiden are gone. It cuts to the school where it must be like a day later or so because the the bully's parents are there, the teachers are there, and they're like, look, we're going to find them. Don't worry. And then it comes out that, oh, also the teacher, the principal is missing. It's like, yeah, I haven't seen her all day or whatever. Uh, So then she goes off and she's like, you know what? I got to go back to Frank's house. This is the, the, the thing that I need to do. And she sees the principal's car. Paul and uh, Dan go over to the the uh, the Weaver's house. Ah, Weaver. And then they're like, okay, we'll come back tomorrow with a uh, a warrant because they're good cops. They're not going to break an entering in the middle of the fucking mountains and possibly get shot. Um, so, but they definitely know something's up. They're like, can you smell that? This is not normal. 
So the next day they come back. Julia is now officially on the police squad because she goes <laughs> everywhere with her brother and is just walking past police tape in the crime scenes because she's out there finding the principal's car covered up, which Lucas covered up. Um, inside, the cops find the husk of Frank, uh, which is just ripped open like a fucking like plastic baggie. Oh my God, it was so gruesome looking. And they're like, what do you make of this? And they're like, it's probably Frank. We can tell by the teeth. And it's like, yeah, that's all you'll be able to tell by. <laughs> yeah, Frank is like a cocoon is what it turns out, right? He's just split open and this beautiful butterfly is just broken out. Lucas comes home and she has to stop him. Julia's like, no, you can't go in there. And that's when they take him to the hospital. The doctor's like, yo, this kid is all messed up, son. He's like, don't worry. I got some drugs that'll get him 80% of the way there. All right. Damn, Dr. Pill Popper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then um, they're like, what are you going to do with him? And then Dan and Paul's like, well, we're still trying to figure that out. And Julia looks at him and he's like, no, no, we're not going to take this fucking kid in. We are not equipped for this. And she's like, we have to. It, like she has this weird immediate obligation to like adopt this child and take care of him just because he went through a traumatic thing and she went through a traumatic thing. And Paul's like, I did too, but you don't see me like trying to adopt a child that I can't handle. Well, they leave him at the hospital for the time being. They went and talked to um, Graham. I, I don't know that character's name, but uh, the old sheriff who found the body, Stokes. And he's like, he's like, well, that's funny because these pictures look a lot like a Wendigo. And then so they tell Paul and Julia about the legend of the Wendigo and they both kind of dismiss it like whatever. And then when this happens, Paul's like, well, we're going to treat this as coincidence until we have some more information. And she's like, coincidence, you know, this is the Wendigo. And I'm like, hold the fuck up. This guy is doing his job and trying not to cause like mass hysteria. And you're pissed at him because he's not jumping to the most absurd conclusion possible. Like Julia's character really pissed me off in this movie. I'm I'm not a fan. Yeah, she really is. Uh, she's like, I'm bought in. This is a mythical situation. Absolutely. But yes, yeah, so Julia wears him down. It's like we're taking Lucas back to your house. And he's like, OK, cool. You take Lucas home. I'm going to go talk to the mayor and the the corner and yada, 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 whatever cops got to do after they find a half eaten dead body. And, um, he's getting some signs to close the beach. <laughs> Finally, a little late. When they find that final body, the guy's like, please tell me a train did this. And it's like, dude, have you ever, do, do trains leave fucking bite marks? You're a really bad sheriff, bro. I'm going downtown. I'm going to talk to Mitch and Murray. I'm going to Lemkin. I don't care whose nephew you are, who you know, whose dick you're sucking on, you're going out. But uh, yeah, so at this point, like she takes him home and Lucas kind of like tells the story. I was like, OK, yeah, so that's my dad. He's not really dead. This is my new dad, Monster Dad. And she's like, no, 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 that's crazy. Even though she was on board for Monster Dad earlier. And he's like, no, no, it's true. He's coming back for me and Aiden. I don't know what goes through her mind at this point, but she's kind of like, okay. I think what's happening here is that Lucas's coping mechanism of not having anybody whatsoever ending up with even the lesser parental figure, Frank, being removed from his life. He's just looking for a parent. So he's like, okay, my dad has just metamorphosized into a giant eyeless fucking Wendigo with, with horns. He's my new daddy. So she's watching this kid justify this to her, and she's almost in shock, like, uh, what now? You're just going to be a part of a Wendigo family? So I think she's having issues comprehending that. And the movie does a good job at this point of showing us flashbacks, finally, of what happened uh, when Frank was changing. Uh, you know, he, he comes back from the, the meth attack. He comes inside and he's like, Daddy's sick. 
you're going to lock daddy in this room. You're not going to let me, you know, out for any reason whatsoever. Do you hear me? He's the one that puts all the deadlocks and padlocks and stuff on the door, which I thought, okay, cool. Right on for this dude being smart enough to like try to be like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be fucked up. I need to protect my kids. But if you already know you have to lock yourself in the room because you're going to be like, crazed and possibly kill your kids you need to like monster squad that shit and go to the cops and be like lock me up i'm a werewolf like you need to do something more than be like hey put me in this room where i can still possibly get to you like you need to like kill yourself i'm not advocating people kill themselves but like you know you got to do something better than just like hey put me in here guys yeah but uh self-preservation and all that and then you know if they did that there wouldn't be much of a movie to watch um, although it would be cool seeing a window go pop out of the fucking police station and tear it apart. Oh, yeah. Like a Terminator scene. That'd be dope. <laughs> Did they draw first blood on the Wendigo is the question. Oh. Right. <laughs> so Deputy Dan has been assigned to watch Lucas and Julia at Paul's home. Like Garrett said, Paul's out doing cop shit or whatever. And then Dan sees or hears something from the shed and he goes to investigate. And inside this like fucking box... There's Aiden all kind of blanketed up, hidden in the shed. And I'm like, who put the kid in there? Was this like a, did the, did the Wendigo, is it smart enough to like bait people? Because maybe that's what this was. Yeah, I think there's still some Frank in there. Because no, when he wrecked that fucking bully, let Lucas go on and live his best Lucas life. Yeah. So I think Frank recognizes his children even now that he is a, uh, a, a tree monster. He does because Lucas is like, he's going to come back for us. We're a family still. I, th- I think you're you're right about that. I think he does have so that parental instinct, but it's just going to be, we're going to be a monster family now. But um Before Dan goes to that shed to see Aiden, you clearly hear the scream slash growl slash roar, whatever the noise they use for the Wendigo was creepy as hell. You hear that multiple times getting closer and Dan's just like, well, fuck it. It's dark outside. I'll walk towards this shed. And he calls, he calls Paul over the CB. He's like, Paul, you got to get here now. There's something in your shed, bro. And Paul is like, I'm on my way and speeds out from the the police station and is on his way out to uh, his house. But yeah, as he goes uh, into that shed, Mark, as you said, he sees Aiden and this part got me. This part made me jump off my couch. Um, The Wendigo like attacks him from behind and like, like shoves his antlers through Dan's body. Oh, it was so gross. Yeah. He gets gored in the back, drops dead. And that's the end of deputy Dan. Felt bad for him. How was he going to expect to get gored from the back like that? How do you prepare for that situation? You put on a bulletproof vest. Yeah. And that's what fucking Paul does when he gets there. He, <laughs> he straps in and fucking puts on his gear and he goes in and he finds his buddy dead. And then just like before, uh, the old uh, window goes up to its same trick there. It hits Paul from behind, but instead of goring him, he gets knocked across the shed. It seems like Aiden and the Wendigo escape and Paul's sitting there like kind of, you know, collecting himself going, what the fuck just happened? And then from behind the wall of the shed just explodes open and Paul actually, he gets gored by one of the antlers in his arm and maybe a couple in his back. But that bulletproof vest stopped him from getting killed. Man, that scene was so intense. It was awesome. And at this point, this is where we first actually start to see our really good 
almost perfect glimpse of the Wendigo. Like this is where we can start really kind of start making out its like its physique, its body, its design. Really well done. But um, this is where the, also the first part in my notes where I was like, not for a million fucking dollars. <laughs> Would I get out of my car and go check that shed? <laughs> I also had that note later on where she's like, I'm going to go to the mine and get Lucas. I was like, not for a million fucking dollars. Yeah. So I was like, no. Looking like from her perspective, looking at just what the fuck she's seeing all around her. I mean, it is a leap of faith to assume Lucas is not uh, dead. Yep. But she's like, you know what? I'm going to go to the mine and rescue that kid based on uh, the fact that this same kid, this child told me that their monster dad was going to come get him. That's all I need to go on. And Lucas was like, yo, I want to be with my dad and my brother. Like, honestly, you're kind of going against Lucas's wishes. <laughs> True. Yeah. And we do. I don't know if we said it, but Lucas skedaddles out of the house while Julia's trying to protect him as Paul's getting gored. Um, like he runs away. He's like, I'm out of here. And then she's like, they're going to go back to the mine because Lucas said, hey, we're going to go live in the mine. So that's how she got that idea. She wraps up Paul in a, in a coat and they all get in the truck and they hightail it for the final act. Paul says, you're not going without me. And I was like, not for a million fucking dollars. You just got <laughs> gored by a Wendigo, dude. Like, oh, and I know that the only two cops in town and one of them is now dead, but I'm just saying mob justice. Get a bunch of people together. <laughs> we saw how that worked in a different movie, though. Look, evil dies tonight, guys. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just not seeing Julia as the final girl type uh, who can at least go up against a mythical monster of this magnitude. Your brother just got taken down. And he had a gun. You know, like what training do you have, teacher? Fourth grade fucking teacher. Yeah. What you're not putting into perspective is it turns out this monster is a total bitch and really easy to kill. <laughs> I know. But she doesn't know that yet. <laughs> <laughs> He's all bark. They go back to the mine where the movie opened up and Julia's got uh, Paul's handgun. I did like that as they're pulling up to the entrance of the mine, she radios in for an ambulance. I was like, thank you, because there's no way fucking Paul would last too much longer. I don't think the way he was, you know, bleeding out from the gore wounds like a sieve. <laughs> stupid civvy you didn't even want to be sheriff <laughs> so she wanders into the mine and she's slowly looking around and again the lighting and everything in this movie is fantastic i think it really is exemplary film when it comes to that regard but they come around the corner of the mine and she shines her flashlight and we see aiden and lucas over in the corner and you just see lucas like pointing like get out of here what do you fuck off go away and then like she pans a little bit more right and we reveal in the first time in its full unshaky cam uh, glory, the Wendigo. And one of the creepiest scenes of this film, and probably maybe even something I've seen in a long time, is this Wendigo has Frank's skin hanging from its skull face. And it is a very... His face. Yeah, it's a wonderful visual. I was like, oh, that is fucking creepy as hell. And then it comes off like Nicolas Cage, like, I want to take his face off <laughs> like it comes off and you see like the bone the the deer head bone like underneath forming like the head of the wendigo this creature design was so good so fucking scary and creepy even when it started moving around like in full frame like which kind of you know always makes things look a little less realistic it's still like its design and the way it stood was so impending and creepy and also let's point out to this point when Aiden and um, Lucas are like, you need to get out of here. He's right there. And she pans like literally like four inches to the right. A, you would have been able to see that thing moving and glowing as it is doing. 
but it's eating a bear. Yeah. Like it's eating a full size bear. So this thing can fuck some shit up, except when it comes to a teacher with a fucking pole. Yeah. And, and I do appreciate that they're tying it back into that three bears uh, uh, fairy tale. The other thing I do want to touch on is the monster itself was uh, a blend of practical. Uh, there was a man in a suit who was controlling the body and then had an animatronic head. And then they actually digitally added over that. So we have a nice blending of all these different styles to create this creature. It, like Garrett said, it's one of the best looking creatures, man, that I've seen in a long time. Yep. It definitely felt real. And you could see that the actor was, uh, Carrie Russell was really interacting with a real thing and not just some CGI, you know, tennis ball. And let's talk about Carrie Russell a.k.a. Julia, reacting to this thing, where she wildly shoots almost an entire clip into the walls of a mine around them. That, those bullets are ricocheting. Someone's getting hit with a stray fucking bullet, whether it be one of the kids, whether it be Julia. She just like practically unloads the clip, gets it knocked out of her hand, goes and gets it, fires wildly again, and then finally has to get up with a uh, giant pole where she's going to kind of like stave off and stab the Wendigo with this like piece of like metal pipe. Um, and it's pretty long, so it's not getting like super close to her, but she ends up stabbing it in the neck and it's bleeding. You can actually see it kind of like being a little bit fucked up. Um, and they were told by, um, Graham Greene's character, um, Stokes, uh, the only way to, to kill it is to cut out and dispose of its still beating heart, which is the glowing thing inside of its chest. But at this point, Lucas, goes up and stabs it in the in the side or in the heart or something like that with his little like shiv that he's made and down goes the windigo. <laughs> then Julia wastes no time, runs over there, grabs the shiv and just starts cutting out the heart. And this was a little bit weird because for all the Lucas like being like he's my dad, I want to be with him and Aiden, like he's just okay with Julia cutting him open and just pulling out his heart. Well, I think he's come to some terms with like, okay, this isn't my dad. Um, I, I have some respect for my teacher or wherewithal that I don't want her to be killed. I think he's forcing himself to believe this fairy tale. You know, Wendigo Frank is actually going to be a father figure to him and it is still his dad in some regard because it's clearly not. He's overcoming his trauma like Julia had to overcome her trauma. Correct. Now, did you guys get any parallel to this ending, to the ending of It? You know, we're in a dark cave instead of a sewer and instead of a spider, it's a Wendigo and we got to cut the heart out of it and we all hold it up at the end. Man, it's possible. <laughs> I think Nick Acosta maybe have watched It right before he wrote this uh, ending scene. Uh, well, don't, I mean, hold on. Don't blame the guy who wrote the short story because this ending is totally 100% for the movie. Oh, really? The short story shares nothing with this ending. Okay. Well, let's finish up the movie, John, and then you can fill us in on how it differs from the story. Sure. She's taking the heart out. And I, I did love the fact that the heart's glowing inside this creature. When she takes it out, it burns his her hands, which I thought that was a really cool like idea to kind of have this thing literally being like an ember. Mm -hmm. uh, there was also a really cool thing is like when the Wendigo would show up places, there was embers that would float through the air. I thought there were fireflies at first, but there was kind of like embers that surrounded the Wendigo. Gorgeous effects. Yeah, cool effect. So she kills the Wendigo, bada bing, bada boom. But according to the story, 
when you take the heart out, it goes to find the next one that's ready to be infected. Oh my goodness, it's Aiden. Now Aiden's over there coughing up black goo. He's making little like Wendigo noises and he's got the, the orange glowing heart now. I did really like the Julia's face as the as Aiden's screaming now in the background. J- Julia's face like, God damn it. Now I'm going to have to gut a kid. <laughs> <laughs> She doesn't blink once. She's like, well, got to do what you got to do. And then Lucas is like, no, don't do it. He's my brother. And I was like, if she takes these kids in and she tries to raise a Wendigo family, I'm out. I was like, that'll ruin the whole movie for me. She just kills a kid straight up, cuts that motherfucker open. Well, they didn't really show it. It was, it was they show her stab him in the back and then it's kind of all focused in on Lucas because they do have a, a quick conversation. He's like, Lucas, I need you to understand. He is never going to get better. Yes, he is. Lucas, he's not. Look away. Look away, Lucas. I need you to recognize and, and address that this is the case. I guess to be like, your life is already fucked up. You're already going to have deep, deep emotional trauma for the rest of your life. I need you to understand that I'm not actually killing your brother. Your brother is gone. You know, like, look at me and tell me you understand. And I know you understand. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and there was some kind of parallel there for her and her dad but it didn't quite connect for me. Like I knew they were trying to go over some kind of correlation between the two, but I just couldn't quite reconcile it. I don't know if I just missed it or what, but um, you could tell they were kind of going to like with that, that concept. Now for as much as they spend on Julia's trauma, this you're right. It doesn't connect well enough um, to really have a satisfying end for her uh, arc. So now the Wendigos are dead. The Wendigo kid is dead. We cut to Paul, Julia and Lucas they're chilling on the uh, the banks of the uh, the lake. Lucas is running around throwing rocks, being just a, a good all-American kid at this point with a lot of trauma. Julia is having a conversation with Paul going like, you know, well, we'll do what we can, you know, like blah, blah, blah. And then Paul goes, okay, but are you prepared to kill what you love? Like meaning if this kid is fucked up or has like Wendigo problems, are you prepared to kill it? which was a weird 180. Like, I appreciate Paul being realistic about it. It's kind of like, whoa, okay, Paul's ready at any point just to fucking put this kid under the water. And then they're like, she's like, we'll we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And then they start to walk away and then Paul starts coughing up the black goo. And oh my goodness, Paul is going to be the new Wendigo. Dun, 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 credits. Well, so is Lucas. Wait, Lucas also? Yeah. He's got a little bit of that black goo. It's coming out of his mouth. That's what he's basically saying. He's like, we'll keep the kid for now, but you know you're going to have to kill him shortly hereafter, right? And she's like, we'll deal with it when it happens. Holy shit. Yeah, I couldn't tell. What? If it was like Wendigo goo or just regular kid goo. So you're saying he's going to become <laughs> regular, a monster. <laughs> regular kid goo isn't black. It was definitely gray coming from his lips, man. So he's... Oh, wow. He's slowly been infected by Aiden or, you know, probably when he went down in the cave, got himself infected, you know? Wow, that's fucked up. So she's just going to have to kill double Wendigo. Yeah, adding to her trauma, she's going to lose her brother and this kid that she saved. I'm saying the movie ends on such a downer. You're just like, ah, well, she's fucked. You know, that's it. I like the fact that it was kind of a downer ending. I didn't pick up that Lucas was all fucked up. I guess that makes more sense why Paul was like, yo, you prepared to kill this motherfucker? Because 
evidently is going to have to happen. Yep. Yeah, but he seems much further along than uh, Lucas, but that would make sense since he was gored by the thing. Maybe that transferred it a little bit quicker than uh, Lucas. I'd like to see a follow-up scene where they go and talk with uh, Stokes and be like, hey, man, so these two people are going to be uh, future Wendigos. How you feeling? <laughs> Just see, like, because um, he was like, these stories are real to us. I mean, he's got official proof now. That's like finding out that, you know, the Easter Bunny's real. Maybe there's an Algonquin uh, remedy, you know? Maybe there's something in uh, his, his, his lore that could resolve them of this Wendigo curse. It's possible. I do like the fact that they pointed out that they get weak once they've fed. And it's a, every time they eat, it makes them weaker, but it also, like, makes them hungrier, which I was like, what a crazy, cool, like, kind of, like, backstory for the Wendigo. Well, that's this movie. John, why don't you fill us in on the differences here? It sounds like there may be a whole different final act in the short story, huh? Yeah. I mean, there's like a million differences, so I won't go into all the details. But what I'll say, I'll start with Frank and Aiden are found dead in their house. Lucas ends up staying with the teacher at the teacher's house. And Lucas is like, you definitely should not have taken them out of the house because that is what was keeping them from killing everybody effectively. But then it turns out, and Lucas is also like, oh, by the way, they're going to come get me, so be prepared for that. And that is exactly what happens. The ending of the short story is Frank and Aiden murdering their way across the town to the teacher's house. Their only weakness is light. They're afraid of the light, but also they can suck off electricity. So every time they're around, all electricity goes out. So she tries to use some candles to fight them off, but... um. She fails. At the end of the story is that Lucas is gone. The teacher is dead. And like half of this town is murdered. The end. So it is Rambo first blood. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) It is much darker. This is an allegory for Rambo. Yeah. And the trauma of the Vietnam War on its vets. Wow, that's actually a big difference. I actually kind of like that concept, though, for a short story. Read the story. It is so, so good. And it is not very long. I mean, it probably takes like 20 minutes, if that, to read. It is in a just an astonishing work of short horror fiction. I wish someone would make that short story into a film. I think that, I mean, or maybe it's even just a short film, but it's so different that there's still material in that short story that I think would make an incredible film. Well, maybe someday it'll get it packaged in an anthology of some sorts. That could be cool. I was about to say, that'd actually be really cool if they actually, instead of like, you know, like, we're going to do VHS where everyone go write your little like alien short story, you know, or whatever theme they use. They just actually take like legitimately good horror short stories that have already proven themselves and just put those in an anthology. Like we don't have to make them into a like come play. We don't have to make that into a whole hour and 30 minute movie. Just an idea, Hollywood. Good at us. <laughs> yeah. They used to do that with like Stephen King short stories, right? Like Cat's Eyes, an anthology of just his short stories. And I think there was at least one or two other ones. Uh, I guess they just stopped making money or something. Well, it sounds like uh, three recommendations from us at varying degrees. Is that uh, what I picked up on? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely worth watching. If you haven't seen it, it is 100% worth watching uh, at least once. For the creature design alone of the Wendigo, I thought it was really great. Yeah. Um, So I would definitely recommend checking it out. I agree. Well, good deal. Well, that wraps up this episode. Garrett, what do we got coming up on the next episode, which it sounds like maybe a uh, number to celebrate? 
It is our 150th episode. Ooh. You know, if that number means anything to you, uh, I think it's kind of great that we've gone this long and uh, we've entertained you guys for this this much. So 150, we're going to do The Faculty, which I believe is a Robert Rodriguez movie? Yes, The Faculty, starring Elijah Wood, Jordana Brewster, Famke Jensen, and Josh Harnett, among others. There's a lot of people in this one. So we're going to do The Faculty, and then after that, we've got a, uh, a fan request which we'll announce at the end of that episode. Heavily, heavily requested. Is it heavily uh, requested, Mark? It might be have been requested a lot by one individual, but yes, it's been heavily requested. (laughs) (laughs) So we got those two films coming up, so uh, brace yourself, 150 episodes. Oh yeah, here's a little faculty trivia for you. Elijah Wood found out that he was going to be in Lord of the Rings while filming the faculty. (laughs) You know what? Here's some Lord of the Rings trivia. Sean Astin had to leave the Goonies video commentary in the middle of it to catch a plane to go to New Zealand to start filming Lord of the rings wow here's some more lord of the rings trivia selma hayek is in the faculty but not in lord of the rings whoa (laughs) let's just do lord of the rings that'd be awesome oh god that would be an 18 hour podcast dude i'm in for it maybe if we maybe that'll be if uh, our patreon we hit twenty thousand (laughs) dollars It's like a Mr. Smith goes to Washington type situation where it's like you guys are passed out and I'm like, and then Frodo goes into the mine. (laughs) (laughs) And then he said, fool of a took. Hey, you guys are asleep. Wake up. (laughs) All right. We'll get the faculty watched and check back with us for 150th episode. Until then, you want to find out what we're up to, go to thegravetalk.com. You can find links to our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter pages. We also got a YouTube page up that we uh, update not frequently enough. Um, uh, you got any questions or you have any cold opens or requests from us, let us know. We're happy to hear from you guys. Thanks for sticking with us through 150 and beyond. Okay, we'll see you next time.